This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. Thank you. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio with Charlie Dobbin, aided and abetted by yours truly, Dean Holland. How are you this morning, Charlie? I'm well. Um, me and the ducks. <laughs> yeah, getting... great, great weekend for ducks, isn't it? lots of rain but the gardens are just purring they're super happy yeah well that's what i wonder too because i have to tell you even uh, some of the alliums that i've got coming up uh on the um uh on the tips of the leaves i noticed were tiny tiny little bit brown and i thought oh they probably need a bit of water so i imagine everything will just just as you say just suck all this up oh yeah but i doubt that that browning is from uh lack of water it's okay. probably from a couple of cold nights oh okay Right. We've had some I mean, we've been down around zero a couple of nights this week so that just the most tender part of plants, you know, the little tips are always the most tender. They just sometimes will get it. Not so, it's almost like frost damage. It's not okay. really frost damage. It's just stress from the cold. Gotcha. OK, uh, listen, you probably I think you have an announcement to make. Is that uh, correct? Well, I just I, I don't think I mentioned this last week. I am uh, the guest speaker at the Coburg Garden Club coming up this Wednesday, May the 3rd. So we're meeting in Coburg at the Columbus Center, which is 232 Spencer Street East in Coburg at 7 o'clock. I'll be speaking about container gardening and using your vertical spaces to fill up, fill everything with plants. They're also hosting a spring mini flower show and there'll be a photo show as well. So, you know, if you're in the Coburg area, come and say hello. Okay, and apparently if you're in the, the well, this is from Leo at the Lincoln Garden Club and Horticultural Society. Uh, he wants people to know that they are having their upcoming uh, plant sale on Saturday, May the 6th. So the same day as that coronation that a lot of people are talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're going to be offering herbs, vegetables, flowers, and native plants will be located at the QEW exit number 57, uh, 3310 South Service Road off of uh, Victoria Avenue in Vineland. And it's only cash sales, they want you to know, okay? Uh, and they want you also to know that they're a not-for-profit, it's a not-for-profit fundraising event to support local gardening projects and educational programs in the local communities. So, yeah, they're looking for it. And as you mentioned before the show, everybody's, of course, so excited because they haven't had these shows in a while. No, the plant sales, everything's been virtual. Yeah, so this is, uh, it's exciting to have these back in person again. I think it's, well, it's, it, I don't know. For me, it's like, it's like buying shoes or eyeglasses online. I want to put them on. I want to try them. I mean, I want to see in, see the plant in person, if at all possible. I don't necessarily want to order it online. That's right, exactly. Hey, you know, I don't think you gave the phone numbers yet. No, I did not. Uh, the number for Toronto is 416-360-0740 or one 740 And of course, like Carlos know, if you are a first-time caller, and we'll give you those, we want you to call often, we want you to call early, 
And one question per call, please. Got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, we are back here on The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And it looks like this rain has kept everybody inside, of course. And so the uh, phone lines have loaded up. Let's go to our first caller. We have Sandra calling from Etobicoke. Welcome to The Garden Show, Sandra. Good morning, Charlie, Dean. How are you? Morning. Well, yeah. Um, Charlie, my question is, I've heard that I could use pine needles as mulch around hydrangeas. Can I use it on my hydrangeas and climbing hydrangeas? For sure. Yeah, so the reason why you've heard that is because, um, well, mulch is always a good idea, right? Mulch helps keep the weeds down, it helps keep moisture in the soil as we get into the hot summer, etc. Hydrangeas are a plant, just like many others, that require a specific pH that is lower than neutral, so more acidic than a neutral pH. And um, pine needles, as they very, very, very slowly break down, will provide some acid into your soil and lower the pH around the hydrangeas. Excellent around rhododendrons, azaleas, magnolias, blueberries. You know, there's a number of plants that like that slightly acidic pH. Okay, thank you so much. Welcome. Yeah, great. Thanks for the call there, Sandra. Uh, quick, quick question, Charlie. Are there things that do not like that uh, extra uh, acidity that you might want to keep pine needles away from? Uh, well, most plants that we grow in our gardens, particularly the edible plants, the vegetables and fruits and berries, most of those like a pretty close to neutral pH, like a 6.8, 6.9 pH, which is what our native soil is. So you wouldn't typically top dress your tomato plants with pine needles because you they wouldn't like it, but other plants would. So yeah, do, do be aware that generally speaking, pine needles are only going to be appreciated by plants that want that acidic soil. And it's, it's a very specific group. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Let's go to our next caller. We have, uh, we're going to the city of Hamilton. Now we have Dorothy on the line. Welcome to the garden show, Dorothy. Oh, good morning to you both. Um, mm -hmm. I have, I live in an apartment building and I have a very small garden under my window and it faces south. In the fall, I planted hyacinths and daffodils. And now that they're dying off, I'm a little confused as to whether I cut off the flower heads and the stems because I'd like for them to bloom again next spring. And I'm confused as to whether do I leave them alone and let them all die off naturally. Okay, great question, actually. So what I do with bulbs when they're finished, whether as you have hyacinths and daffodils, tulips, you know, any of the any of the spring flowering bulbs. Once the flowers are finished, they aren't very pretty. They're kind of dried up and ugly and brown. So I'll go out with my snippers or my scissors and cut off the flower heads, the dried up dead flowers. Leave the green stem that they were attached to, leave the green leaves and let all of that stay outside and it will naturally over the next six to eight weeks turn yellow, shrivel up and disappear. The bulbs will be underground, ready to go for next year if you allow those leaves to do their thing. It's not very pretty watching the leaves go down because it's a slow process, 
But uh, once they're once they've disappeared, you can then use that little garden to maybe, you know, pop in some once we're frost free, pop in some petunias or marigolds or something that loves the sun. Well, thank you. That's one of the things I've been worrying about. And because I want them to flower again next year. You know, the bulbs. And I didn't know whether by cutting this head and stems off, I would be ruining them, you know, for flowering. Yeah, not at all. No, remove just the dead flowers, but leave all the green. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, have a great day. Yeah, you as well, Dorothy. Enjoy this nice rainy weekend. And, yeah, and it is important. I, I actually don't mind the rain as much as I know some people it really kind of brings down, but I, I, I don't mind it. And I know that it's doing an important job. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's April still, right? We need those April showers. And it, we've had some rain this past month, but at this point, as far as I'm concerned, rain is really good. It's just storing up in the in the you know ground, the water table, et cetera, the lakes, the rivers, the streams. You know, we, we're going to need that water later in the summer when it gets hot and dry. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting back to Dorothy's call, we talk about this a lot on the station. It's that good old photosynthesis doing its thing, right? That's an important yes. Yeah. It's an important uh, step as well. Well, that's why we leave the leaves, because the leaves, as you say, will be photosynthesizing. And that's what will um, help the bulb, which we're not seeing that's below ground. But it's going to uh, fatten up that bulb, if you will. It's going to grow the bulb bigger and be ready to go to flower next year. And, and so that's why it's so important that the leaves are left in place to do that. Gotcha. Okay, I'm going to give those numbers out again before we go to our next break. Uh, Please give us a call if you have a questioning about uh, gardening inside or an outside gardening question. Charlie would be happy to uh, field any questions you have. Uh, The number to call if you live in Toronto is 416-360-0740. Or if you live anywhere outside Toronto in the province of Ontario, this is a toll-free number, 1-866-740-4740. We will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, we are back here on The Garden Show. And Charlie, we are going to go now to the town of Holstein. We have Wilma on the line. Welcome to The Garden Show, Wilma. Good morning to you. Yes. Morning. Um, I have... I'm not gardening outside. I need to transplant my hibiscus. They are in um, uh, probably a 9 to 10 inch pot. And right now they have been blooming for the last couple months and still have a lot of buds on them. So I'm assuming I have to wait basically till they're stopped blooming. But I usually put them outside as soon as the weather accommodates them and leave them in the pots till fall to bring them in. So I'm wondering, um, will, I ha- will I have to cut them back before I transplant them? And I'm guessing that my pots that I've bought for to transplant are not much bigger than they are already in. Right. Should I enlarge the pots, or can I get rid of some of the roots from the bottom? 
Okay. No, it's a great, great questions, Wilma. So you've bought new pots. They have drainage holes, of course. Yes. Good. And you've got fresh potting soil that you'll use when you're doing this transplanting. Yes. Okay. So how many hibiscus are there? There are two large ones. Right now, they're probably standing a good three foot from the floor. Yeah, good. Uh, All right. So unless you want those hibiscus to absolutely take over your house in the winter, (laughs) because I realize you go out in the summer with them, you will have to do some pruning. Yes. And don't hesitate to do some root pruning when you're doing the transplanting. Just get out a saw, something nice and sharp or butcher knife, but you'll find hibiscus have lots and lots of very vigorous roots. So you'll need something nice and sharp. I mean, I've pulled out just a wood saw, right? And just, Or you might even have a, a small um, limbing saw that you can just do some trimming of the roots. Okay. And um, what I would do, since you're enjoying the flowers now, is just enjoy the plants for now. Wait until... It's, we're frost-free. Wait mm-hmm. until it's time for you to take them outside. So another, whatever, five, six weeks. Mm-hmm. At that point, I would take them out. I would get them out of their pots. You may decide to just keep the pots they're in now. Just give them a scrub. And uh, then no, they've them. had their day, and that's why I have to transplant them, because okay. sun and, and trimmers have done their due diligence on the pots when they were outside (laughs) gotcha yeah so not very attractive all right so there you are with your fresh pots fresh soil so it would just be it's because big plants can be quite messy to transplant there's no real rush and they're full of flowers right now i would just enjoy them for now Mm -hmm. and make your mess outside when you when the weather allows Mm -hmm. trim the roots and at that point trim the tops and do bring them down by about a third at that point. And you're going to do all this in the next, like I said, four to six weeks, bring them down by at least a third, uh, get them into the fresh soil, into the fresh pots, and then you'll be able to leave them outside and they'll be beautiful to bring in at the end of the summer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. I've got itchy fingers because I've had the soil and the pots now ready. So, (laughs) but we'll wait. yeah. Hey, Wilma, if you want to do it now, it's going to rain for the next few days. You, you want to get dirty. You could do it now, but you will probably at the time of doing the transplanting want to cut the plants back. I would. So yeah. that means just losing the flowers now. That's Yes. All. Yeah. Well, that's it. They're so beautiful and pretty. The, the, the size of them is unreal. I've had these hibiscus for probably 25 to 30 years. Well, wow. Just keep growing them. <laughs> Good for you. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks, Charlie. Have a good day. You too. So, Charlie, you'll have to clarify for me. Uh, you said a, a specific type of saw to use that I'm not sure what that is. Oh, well, just the fact that, the, well, there's different saws, right? So, you know, if, yep. if you're like a, a handy person and you've got um, wood saws that mm-hmm. you use to kind of two by four, you know, it's just the old, you know, yeah, yeah. saw. So those, I've used those on the roots of hibiscus because the roots are quite woody. Yeah. But I also have a very special, what I call a limbing saw. So it's a very, it's narrow. Uh, it's not a big honking thing like a, like you, you know, a carpenter saw. It's much narrower. Narrower, but it's got real good sharp teeth and it's for getting it's for removing branches from trees typically though sometimes old shrubs 
where you're in a really tight spot. So you, you just, you can get that little saw in there and do the um, mm-hmm. removal of whatever it is that you're removing without damaging the limbs you're leaving behind. Gotcha. Okay. No, I, I, well, you were talking to Wilma, I Googled it and I couldn't find the type of saw you were, you were referring oh. to. So I just wasn't sure what a limbing saw was. I'd never heard of that before. So, and I thought some of the listeners might also be uh, interested if it is good for that type of work. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, so I just thought it's worth asking because I might, uh, might make sure that my gardening shed has a limbing saw. So if, uh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know why you couldn't find anything under limbing saw. I'm getting all kinds of yeah, how's it spelled? L I M B limb. Oh, okay, gotcha. Oh, okay. yeah, we're thinking like liming, limbing. Yeah, no, yeah, probably. A limb, yeah. Uh, like an arm or a leg, a limb. So, yeah. Okay, gotcha. I got you now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go to uh, Bimbrook. Our next caller is from Bimbrook. We have Lisa on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Lisa. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm sorry. I, I'm not sure. I hope my signal's okay. It's been crackling in and out. I'm actually on my way to Cayuga to. CD Saturday from their garden club, which is going to oh, be nice. Fun. Yeah, I've got I've got a quick question. I think Dorothy earlier may have answered it. I've got some daffodils that are old, old, old. I got them from my girlfriend. They were her grandmother's. They've been in the same spot for about four or five years. They're tiny ones. They're beautiful, but I I'm getting less and less flowers. Yeah, and lots and lots of green, but less flowers. I can't remember if I hacked back all those beautiful green stems too early, and I wonder if maybe I did. Um, that is wonderful to know. But is there any other suggestions apart from leave the leave the greenery? Uh, probably uh, what's happened because remember, daffodils are what we are. What can you hear me? If okay, tell you what, okay, uh, tell you Lisa, what? hang uh, up, Lisa, and hang then you can turn your radio on, and you can hear on. the answer. Hear the answer. Okay, thank you, Charlie. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. Uh, thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Yes, you, yes. Lisa might get a better signal through the radio rather than her telephone if she's on the road. Just um, and, for, and for anybody who has daffodils, particularly, but any of the bulbs that naturalize. So these are bulbs that will propagate themselves. We plant one, and next year we have five because four will grow off of the mother bulb. And then in the future, again, those little baby bulbs, more babies grow off. Before you know it, the bulbs are all way too crowded, way too close together, and need to be uh, separated. So that's probably what's going on with the daffodils at Lisa's place. They need to be lifted, get out a digging fork, lift them up, uh, you're going to find that it's just bulb, 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 all, you know, mashed in together there. So uh, separating and replanting is what you need to do. I would do it now in the next month or so, because now you know where they are. By July or August or September, you won't have a clue where they are to do that dividing. But it's possible. You can do the do this dividing when they're dormant, if you can make sure you know where they are, or do this dividing you know, a month or so from now when they're getting towards the end of their um, growing cycle and the leaves are still above ground. At that point, of course, you would be trimming the leaves probably as you're doing this dividing. Uh, Charlie, should we lift uh, like bulbs every year or is it good to just leave them where they are? Yeah, no, you don't do it every year because that's way too much work. Um, So it depends, right? Tulips, typically, unless they're species Mm -hmm. tulips, they don't get better with time. The highly hybridized tulips, we buy them. They're beautiful the first year. They're pretty gorgeous the second year. They're still 
pretty gorgeous the third year, but by the time we get to the fifth or sixth year, they're smaller, they're not as effective, the color might have changed along the way. So tulips, typically, we, we just replace them as we go. But it's the daffodils, it's the, the crocuses, um, a lot of these little naturalizing type bulbs, the ones that will spread, love them, but they also will often get overcrowded. So every situation is different. If you're really, really rich, then what you do is you just buy new bulbs every year. And in the spring, you get your gardener to dig up once the flowering is done, because you don't want to see those ugly leaves at all. You just use your bulbs for the flowers, dig them all up, give them off to a hort society and plant, start planting up all the annuals, et cetera, that go into the gardens. But only the extremely wealthy can afford fresh bulbs every fall. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Numbers to call us, 416-360-0740. That's the Toronto number. Or if you live outside Toronto, here's a toll-free number, one 740 4740. We are going to go to Chatham now, and we have Jane on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Jane. Good morning. Um, Good morning. I have two rose bushes that my son gave us last year in about 12-inch pots. Should I trim them now? Should I fertilize? Should I transplant? Hmm. Uh, Okay, good question. Now, uh, these are in pots outside, inside? They're outside. We put them in the ground. You had suggested that last fall. So we put the pot and everything right in the ground. Okay. And you're going to dig those up, or have you dug them up yet? No, I haven't dug them up yet. Okay, so the ground has thawed. Once this rain is, is gone by uh, and you can get outside, I would dig up the pots, uh, you know, wash off all the mud, etc. Look at underneath. I'm assuming the pots have drainage holes. So yeah. look at the drainage holes. If you've got evidence of roots coming out of the drainage holes, then you may consider transplanting. I mean, a 12-inch pot is a pretty good-sized pot, and they've only been in there for a year. So you probably don't need to transplant. But yes, you do need to trim, and you do need to fertilize. So roses love to be pruned in the spring, and this is the time, whether they're in the ground or in pots, sharp pruners, dry day, remove the dead, the diseased, and the damaged. So the the black, the brown, the, the ragged, um, canes all get trimmed out nice and clean and with nice sharp pruners and then you look at the configuration of the the actual plant you want a rose when you're particularly when you have great control in a pot like that you know you can sit it up on a on a stool or something so you really don't have to be down on your hands and knees to do this work and and just look at it you want to look down on the pot and you want the rose to be growing like Uh, an open hand so that as you look at your hand and you open it up, the fingers are going off to the outside of the center of your palm. That's how you want the rose to look. You want the, each of those little branches or canes to be growing away from the center of the plant. Anything really small and straggly, you're going to cut away. You'll always leave, you know, Mm -hmm. four to five good, solid, healthy looking, shiny, probably green canes, but you know, Bring it all in to only four or five inches tall. Okay. Um, the, the, okay, four or five inches, good. And can I use a regular fertilizer or should I get a rose fertilizer? I personally would use a rose fertilizer. 
Oh. Uh, yeah, it's one of those situations where you do get a specialty fertilizer. Though, if, you, if you're standing in the store and you see a rose fertilizer and it says, you know, 15, 30, 15, and then you see a flowering plant fertilizer and it says 15, 30, 15, then you know there's nothing special about that rose fertilizer. But generally, um, yeah, roses are heavy feeders. So we do want to ensure that they're fed uh, as per the directions on the package. In the spring, I usually only fertilize once, but I fertilize in the spring. Okay, sounds good. All right, good luck. Yeah, yeah, thanks on that, Jane. Good luck with those roses. Um, uh, Jane reminded me, uh, my um, clematis, is now the time where I chop it down? Is this the time? Well, have you looked at it? Has it got little buds? Oh, I have to look at it. (laughs) Okay. You're asking me, ask the yes. clematis. Oh, ask <laughs> yeah. the clematis. If you go out, I'm sure it probably is showing little buds. If yeah. you go out, it'll all be sort of brown and straggly. But then as yeah. you go closer and you get, you know, a few feet away from the clematis, you should see little fuzzy grayish green buds, like the size of a mouse ear. And it's when you see those little mouse ear buds, that's the time to chop the whole thing down. Gotcha. And you said something, uh, and you've said this before, I think it's important to, to prune in dry weather. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. You know why? We're wounding when we prune, and uh, it's stressful for the plant to be wounded. Then add four days of rain on top of the wounds, and the wounds will not heal very well. So it's all just about maximizing the healing from the wounds that we're creating when we prune. Right. It's like if we cut ourselves, if we keep running water over it, it won't scab over, right? So we That's need right. to scab. Exactly. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. Sweet. Okay. Uh, we are going to Stouffville now. We have Colleen on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Colleen. Hello. Hi, Hi there. there. Hi there. Thank you. I love your show. Thank you so much. I have learned so much. I have a composting question. Mm-hmm. I have one of those big black barrel composters. And it got very compacted over the winter, of course. So as soon as I could turn it over, I started to do that. But it was very slimy and very hot, and there was quite an odor to it. So during those hot days, I was able to spread it out on a tarp on the lawn, dry it out considerably, put it back in the composter, but... um, And I kept turning it over, turning it over every... Every day, a number of times a day, until it dried out. But yeah. now I can't. Now I can't find any of my red wigglers, and I had loads of them. Even after the winter, I was surprised that they survived. So, what am I doing wrong? Well, if it's that soggy, they, they could have drowned. So, remember when we are. Uh, so, what goes in your composter? Is it mostly food scraps? I'm sorry, I can't hear you very well. I just wondered what you were putting in the composter. What um, is it? Eggshells, scraps. I don't put anything, any bones, no fish, anything. It's always just table scraps. Tables, right? So I'm that very is... careful about um, not attracting any vermin, and sure. and um, I keep it covered. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, obviously my my worms are gone, and I don't know they... what I've done wrong. And how can I bring them back? Okay, so they might not be gone. There might still be some survival of the wigglers. I wouldn't give up. But okay. I just wanted to say that it should never be that wet and it should never be that smelly. So you've got to balance 
when you're putting stuff in the composter, it can't be just vegetable scraps because there's too much moisture in all of that. We, you need to add, we always call it, talk about the greens and the browns when it comes to our compost. I'm, so you I'm need sorry, to I forgot add, to, I neglected to tell you that I'm very religious about, about doing that. I, you know, um, I have saved lots of chopped dried leaves over the winter. I had news, shredded newspaper, a little bit of sawdust. Um, a lot of a lot of browns uh, wrapped up, I mean ripped up cardboard, and and so it's it's not too wet anymore. I'm wondering, is it too dry now? Well, it that's that's always the challenge. You know, that's the balancing act that we have to do as we are creating compost. So most comp like the the I've never had one of the turning composters. But one of the advantages, of course, is that you're getting the air in amongst the organic material, which speeds up the decomposition. Uh-huh. It also tends to be a dry, drying situation with all that turning. So adding water is what you would normally have to do unless for some reason, you know, it's just got too much liquid going in in the form of the um, the vegetable scraps, etc., so uh, for now, um, I yeah, I don't know. You want your compost should not smell bad. It should never smell swampy. Oh, if it it's getting smells a lovely smell now. or wet, it's just lovely. Yeah, so it's smelling or wet, like you know what you need to add. Consistency, but I'm, but I'm just worried that maybe it's too dry. Maybe I'm turning it over too often. Right. So I think, I, like I said, I've never used one of those composters. Go to the instructions. You, you probably don't want to turn it every day. It's probably once a week kind of thing. Okay. Uh, so follow those instructions for in terms of the turning. And um, and yeah, if in doubt, empty the whole thing and start again. Um, keeping in mind, though, you are hoping that some of those red wigglers have survived. They might so- not have. They wouldn't have liked the sunlight when you pulled them, pulled everything out. They like the dark. And they like the moisture, but they don't want to be underwater. Uh, worst case, uh, you can buy red wigglers. They are for sale. Yeah. And you just buy, buy some and reintroduce them. I think I'm going to be doing that myself, actually. Great. Should I, okay. should I okay. be adding yeah. any bone meal or anything like that? No. Don't mess with the, the chemistry. Um, okay. And Thank even you sawdust. So like, You've been very helpful. Any, yeah. Keep it simple. Okay, thank you very much for your question there, Colleen, putting us back in the mood for composting. I have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have much more on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Oh, yeah. We're back here on The Garden Show on this last Saturday of April. Crazy. Monday starts May. Yeah, so all these April showers are theoretically bringing those May flowers. Isn't that right, Charlie? That's the plan. Yeah, I love the plan. Okay, we have three first-time callers on the line. Let's go to the first one of them. Mary in Burlington. Welcome to The Garden Show, Mary. Hello, good morning. I had There you go. I got to give you your garden wings. There you go, my dear. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I listen often, but I this is the first time I've called in. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had grubs last year and half my lawn is dead. What do I do? You got to replant it. <laughs> 
replant first, the whole lawn? Well, no, rake, rake, rake. First, we start all, spring is all about lawns and fixing lawns if there's been any issues. So a fan rake, and it's raking out all the dead stuff, making piles of dead grass wherever it occurs. Um, and so once that's all off the lawn, we top dress. So uh, half an inch rough, roughly of topsoil or triple mix or a lawn top dressing, which is a soil designed specifically for lawns. Uh, either way, you know, you might have to bring in a yard or two or one of those big one yard bags can be quite handy get that dropped off in the driveway and start top dressing so that's spreading the the soil all over the dead areas all over the entire lawn but filling in fresh soil where the area where there is no grass and of course if you had been on top of this a week ago you could have got grass seed down in time for all this rain and the grass seed of course needs water and you'll you sprinkle that out in the areas and it will grow and fill in those patches and yeah it's a process it's just you know step 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 and stay on top of the weeds in the meantime and do everything to help fill in proper grass are the grubs alive still underneath Right. So if it is grubs, yes. The it, grubs is, it is are, grubs. Yeah. The grubs are alive. They went down for the winter under the beneath the frost line and went to sleep. <clears throat> They've come up now that it's spring. <clears throat> excuse me. And they are chewing roots. But generally at this time of year, um, you, you cannot kill those grubs. You hope that the starlings will get them, the robins. There's a lot of birds that will eat the grubs at this time of year because they're very near the surface. And very shortly, those same ugly grubs that are still eating will stop eating because they will pupate. They will turn into a little cocoon and uh, you won't have any more damage happening. And that, again, is usually in the ne- this month in May. And then they will emerge in May or June as beetles. And those beetles will fly around, party like little crazy insects that they are, and lay a bunch of eggs, and the cycle starts again. So you can, don't try and kill grubs now. You can't. But you can certainly start the repairing the lawn. And be ready for baby grubs in August and get a hold of nematodes to eat and kill the baby grub uh, larva, which will be a problem starting in late summer. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Yeah. Thank you for the call, Mary. And hopefully when those bugs go and party like crazy, Charlie, (laughs) hopefully they will go one block over and they will lay all their eggs somewhere else. (laughs) Well, you know, there, there are what they call Japanese beetle traps, and uh, they can be very effective for attracting and um, trapping uh, Japanese beetles, which is generally what, what you're really dealing with there. Main thing is, is don't put a trap on your own property. Put it on somebody else's property. Uh, well, My neighbor or put it like in a schoolyard or um, a parking lot, somewhere where you don't mind attracting all the Japanese beetles to that spot. It's not your property because they, they really do work. And so they will, uh, they're, they're lured right into the trap and can't get out. So that can be an effective way of lowering the population. But again, that's in the summer, not now. 
Okay, great. Okay, okay, thanks again for the call, Mary. I have to take a quick break, but we will be back with much more on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Okay, Charlie, we are back here on The Garden Show, and as I mentioned, we have a few first-time callers. Let's go to our next one. We've got Mark in Mississauga. Welcome to The Garden Show, Mark. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I would love to give you your garden wings, sir. There you go. We are excited when we get first-time callers. Thank you. Good morning. Welcome. Um, We live in Mississauga, uh, fairly sandy soil, very mature Norway maple in the front lawn. Nothing is growing underneath it. It's taken, it's basically the front lawn is gone. We're wondering if we could replace it with some sort of ground covers or low shrubs, plants, and then with uh, some mulch as well. No, great idea. Don't, I, I agree with you. Don't even try and grow turf grass under a Norway maple or any maple for that matter. Maples have big leaves. They produce deep shade and grass, turf grasses do not grow well in deep shade. You can start a great lawn in the spring because the leaves aren't out yet and everything looks great in April and May, but by June and July, it's thinner and thinner and sparser. And by August, it's not pretty at all. So give up on the grass, cut yourself a nice garden, whether it's a round garden beneath or an oval, it probably would look nicer, maybe a kidney shape garden beneath the, the maple. Get out the existing grass if there's anything in there that's alive. Plan to mulch after you've put in some plants. Um, sometimes a couple of Ornamental things like a bird bath can be nice in a situation like that or a couple of nice rocks. And then it's just a question of looking at what grows in deep shade. And also, you'll have to supplement the soil. You'll have to add at least an inch of quality soil uh, over the roots of the Norway maple It's because it's going to be tough digging in there. It'll be very, very rooty. And, and you'll get small plants. The smaller plants are going to be easier to plant. And you might just look at things like a few hostas. You might look at something like there's sweet woodruff, which I love as a ground cover, uh, grows well in the shade. Um, we've talked about on the show Pachysandra as, again, a shade-loving ground cover. Lamium is also a, a ground cover that grows in sun and shade. So those are very low-growing plants and then a little bit more height, like I said, a hostas. Um, uh, something called, <clears throat> there's Virginia, B-E-R-G-E-N-I-A, which is great in the shade. Uh, Brunera, a lot of Bs, B R U. N-N-E-R-A, it's like a forget-me-not flower, grows in the shade. So you'll, you'll choose some nice plants, get them planted, and then you'll mulch and you'll water, particularly this first year, to make sure that the little new plants survive because the Norway maple is going to suck the water. It's It got there first and it's going to be the brute that's going to try and stop the little guys from, from growing. But if you can provide some good organic material and good moisture levels for the new plants, they'll get tucked right in there and they'll start to grow and you'll be so happy you did that. Would ivy or a periwinkle work? Either of those would work, but both of those are highly invasive plants and will end up uh, growing over to your neighbor's house before you know it. Okay, okay. Okay, so 
Yep. Thanks for the call there, Mark. <laughs> Let's go to our next caller. We've got uh, we we got time to squeeze in our last first time caller, Dana, calling from Milton. Welcome, Dana. Oh, good morning, Charlie. It's so nice to talk to you. I've been enjoying your show for many years. Nice. Welcome to the show. I'm going to give you your garden wings. Okay, there you go. Thanks for being a first time caller. What do you got for thank, Charlie? Thank you. Oh, in the spring, I bought a lovely pot of uh, mini daffodils. And mm-hmm. I'd like to be able to keep them for next spring. Do yeah. I plant them in the ground now, or would you dry them out and then plant the bulbs in the fall? Well, I assume they have green leaves on them, but the flowers yeah. are done? Yes. Yeah, and they're inside the house. <clears throat> well, they're on, they're on the back patio right now. Okay. Well, um, allow them to, to do their cycle. So water them as necessary. Uh, you know, let the green slowly become yellow. Once they're dormant and the pots are dry, because you don't want them to be just sitting out in the rain no. once they are completely dormant. So it's up to you. You can plant, you know, um, anytime you want. Many people will put them away, but you don't want to put them in a hot garage. Like, again, they're dormant bulbs. You want to keep them cool and dark and dry. Before you plant them. So if it's hard to keep them cool and dry and dark, then plant them sooner than later. But you'll want them in the ground by October anyway. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Okay. Yeah, thanks for the call there, Dana. Uh, Charlie, you said something to, uh, I assume it was Mark, yeah, about the ground cover you mentioned, forget-me-nots, and I actually have a package of forget-me-nots in my hand here on my desk. And so, and I, it did say, I think it says on the back, uh, er, so indoors, so early April. So now that I'm at late April and not going to get them until mm. May, can I plant them directly outside? Yeah, you could. Um, you, many people get frustrated with forget-me-nots. They can be a bit what we call invasive. They're they're very happy once established, and they will yeah. reseed themselves. So if you want to scatter those seeds, go for it. Um, what's going to come up first is just little green leaves. You won't get flowers this spring. Yeah. It'll be next spring, you'll get flowers. Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, you don't you don't need much. You need one plant. As soon as you got one plant, you'll have thousands. <laughs> okay. Good to know because there's a there's a whole. I can feel a few seeds in this packet. So yeah. So I don't need all of them. Maybe. Maybe just no, a few. but you know, if you're just going to do an outdoor scatter, uh, you may not find that you get a great germination anyway. But um, yeah, it depends where you're putting them and whether you're going to care for them and stuff. But uh, gotcha. yes, plants can be demanding in terms of what they want. They're all speaking, also- speaking of demanding plants. What's going on in your garden this week? What are you up to? Well, I've been doing a lot of pruning and I even moved, Elliot and I moved a big hemlock. So we've been busy with that sort of thing. And of course, staying on top of lawns, because this is the time of year to repair the lawns. But I've got a whole indoor garden going on. I got lots and lots of little plants, little seedlings coming up. I'll tell you about them next week. Great. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks to all our amazing callers. What a great, great Saturday. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.